Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Pete. I am the adult ministries pastor here at Brian, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity uh, to share with you our next episode in Mark. Uh, we moved here from Boston back in June, and God has done some crazy, amazing things in my life, and I'm just so thankful to be a part of this this fellowship. A number of years ago when we were out in Boston, I got a call from a friend of mine. His name is Paul. He was a big runner. And he, and he said, Pete, I qualified for the, for the Boston. And I said, Paul, that's fantastic. Congratulations. He's like, yeah, can we come out and, and stay with you while I run the marathon? I said, absolutely. So him and his wife came out and uh, he ran. He killed it, did a great job. And after the marathon, we're back at, at our house. And I look at Paul and I'm like, Paul, do you think that... Uh, I could run a marathon? He said, absolutely. It's just a matter of training. It's all about training. I said, well, would you be my trainer? Would you put together a schedule? Yeah. So we sat down and put a schedule together. And um, for the next number of months, my wife was a marathon widow. And I was on the road constantly. And that fall, uh, I hobbled across the finish line and, and did it. Why would anybody want to run a marathon? <laughs> well, I don't know about the ladies, but guys, you can relate to this. At some point, guys, maybe you're 40, a switch goes off in your body and like your body just does not respond the way it used to. You are not in high school anymore. <laughs> you can't eat what you want. Uh, things just don't go the way they used to. If you eat it, it doesn't leave. It's just... <laughs> You know, so it's really hard getting old. And so I think one of my motivations for wanting to run a marathon before I was 50 was very narcissistic. I just wanted to see if I could do it. Well, we all wrestle, I think, with our health at some point. We battle with age. I don't think anybody really wants to be unhealthy. I don't think people plan on sitting on their couch for months, eating junk food, and then saying, I really want to have a heart attack. I don't think people think that way. Well, one of the more recent health trends you're probably aware is that of intermittent fasting. Uh, Social media is replete with the benefits, the hows, twos of, of, of intermittent fasting. People swear by it, you know, tuning up the body, eliminating toxins and dead or poisonous cells. But the motive typically, honestly, for intermittent fasting is just we wanna tune up this machine and make it work better. It's a very earthly motivation, I think, mostly, often, anyway. Well, in the Old Testament, we find a number of examples of fasting, but the fasts are not for health benefits so much as for brokenness over sin, contrition, sorrow, asking God to move in saving ways. And uh, there's one fast that was commanded in particular, that of the Day of Atonement. When God called all his people to come and confess sin, both personally and corporately. When you think about fasting, what comes to mind? 
Have you ever fasted before? Why would anybody want to fast, not eat? Why would you do that? Well, in our passage this morning, uh, there is a conversation going on between Jesus and some other people about fasting. And in the five verses that we're gonna quickly look at this morning in Mark, the word fast or fasting appears six times. Surely Jesus has something to say to us about fasting in those verses. Not so much what fasting is, but why someone would fast. But underneath that passage is not the concept of fasting or religious exercises, but rather that Jesus came to bring joy and new life. I wanna talk with you today about how Jesus came to bring joy and new life. If you have your Bibles with you today, I wanna encourage you, invite you to turn to Mark chapter two. We're gonna be looking at verses 18 to 22, and if you are able, would you please stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Mark chapter two, verses 18 to 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to Jesus and said, we're fasting, but your guys, not so much. They're not with the program. Jesus, why are your guys not fasting? Our guys are fasting. Why are your guys not fasting? And Jesus looked at them and said, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it the new from the old, and the worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Before you sit, will you please bow in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, God of all grace and peace, we bow before you this morning to worship you. You are the King eternal and immortal, the only wise God, and we are the sheep of your pasture. Father, in this world of chaos and angst, we confess that we need you and your perspective. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would please illuminate to us your eternal and transcendent truths that we could know you and your purposes for bringing us here today. May we leave different people this morning because we have heard in the depths of our being your voice whispering our name. Come Holy Spirit and inflame us to know Christ as we should. In Jesus' name and for his fame, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Sometimes when you turn on the TV or Netflix or a movie uh, and you're watching your favorite show and the writers have such that they put you on the edge of your seat and then to get you back, they say, to be continued. Come next week to see what happens. Some commentators believe that this is possibly what was going on in Levi's backyard right now. 
that the drama that started to unfold last week, chapter two, verses one to 17, is still rolling. There's a word that is missing at the beginning of verse 18, and it's the Greek word chi or and, and that is a logical connective conjunction, meaning that the film is still rolling. So it's very possible, strongly inferred, but it's very possible that Jesus is having a second conversation with these people on that same night. And John's disciples, the Pharisees' disciples, followers, students, groupies, were saying, hey, Jesus, our guys are fasting, your guys are parting and feasting, why is that? Why are they feasting when we are seeking God and your guys are not? Why is that? There's two different groups of people here. John's disciples, from what we know of John so far in Mark, John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't conform to the standard of the religious figures of the day. He did not look like a Pharisee. He was like an old school prophet calling people to turn to God. He was one that God had sent in advance of Jesus to prepare the people for the coming of the Savior, the Messiah. He was a preparer. And people would go out into the wilderness to confess their sins, to get right with God, to meet the Messiah. It's very possible that John's message in fasting was a message of repentance, of sorrow, of brokenness and contrition before God. Perhaps that was their motive for fasting. The other group of people who fasted were the Pharisees and their students. History showed that when the Pharisees fasted, they literally would paint their faces white, change their clothes into tattered clothes, and parade around town so that everyone could see how holy they were. There was really only one prescribed commanded fast, as I mentioned earlier, and that was for the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees amped it up. They said, if you really want to seek God, if you really want to be holy, if you want to be pious, you got to fast every Monday and Thursday. That's what they were after. Two groups of people who were fasting perhaps for different reasons, but it was a very public fast. They were very publicly humble. But people knew that they were fasting. And they also knew that Jesus' guys we're not fasting. Why is that? Nowhere in the New Testament is fasting commanded. Rather, fasting is a description of a spiritual exercise that New Testament believers practiced. If one is called to fast, our motive should be simply uh, to know God better, to uh, not eat for a time so that we can pray and seek him. We are not saved by spiritual exercises. That work is already done. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Well, in the Gospel of John now, back in John chapter two, John the Baptist had a conversation with people and John introduces this concept of bride and bridegroom relating to Christ. And here in Mark 2, Jesus brings to mind a conversation that has already happened. 
that of Jesus being the groom in a marriage relationship between himself and his people. And Jesus looks at these guys and he says, why would my guys fast? Can wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as the groom, as long as the party, why would they not eat? So I have four kids, all awesome kids, awesome spouses. I have experienced wedding planning. And uh, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of resources. And Jesus looks at these guys and says, guys, let's say you're going to a wedding. It's a day of celebration. It's a day you plan for, you look forward to. The day comes, you put on your nice clothes. You're expecting to see friends and family. In this culture, you're gonna see the whole town. There's gonna be a lot of good food, a lot of good dancing, a lot of good drink. It's gonna be a big party. The whole town is gonna be in there. And our time together is gonna be a lot of fun. And when you go home, you fall into bed because your feet are dead tired because you've been dancing all night. And you're gonna talk about this wedding for weeks, months, years. And the party is seared in your head because it was so joyous. In Jewish culture, the wedding party after the ceremony would stay together in town for a week. Unlike our culture where people jet right after the ceremony, they would stay and celebrate for a week. So right in the middle of verse 19, Jesus says, so you guys, come on. Why would my guys not eat? It just doesn't make any sense. As long as the groom is with the groomsmen and the party is going on, Jesus is like, I, I came to bring joy. I bring to, came to bring life and hope and forgiveness and the love of God. I came to bring salvation. This is a happy time. And then in an instant, verse 20, it seems that Jesus pivots and perhaps a smile leaves his face and he says, but, The time is coming. The time is coming. Jesus referring to himself and the groom will be taken away from him. Then they're gonna fast. This is the first mention or allusion to Jesus' crucifixion in Mark. This idea that the groom will be taken away, the word taken from actually means literally to be violently removed from, severed or ruptured in relationship. So Jesus is saying, guys, of course, of course my guys aren't fasting right now, but there's gonna come a time where I'm gonna be violently removed from my relationship with these guys. My relationship with them is gonna be severed, and as it says in Matthew, then they're gonna mourn. Not right now, but there will be a time when I'm violently removed, and then they're gonna mourn. You see, Jesus' students, or John's students, fasted for a particular reason, perhaps repentance and forgiveness. The Pharisee students fasted for religious show and self-righteous purposes, but Jesus says, not right now. I came to bring joy. 
coming to bring life. And then for the first time, Jesus uses parables in the Gospel of Mark. One commentator says that these illustrations have a broader relevance than fasting. Jesus' presence with his people was a time of newness and signaled the passing of the old. Jesus' presence with the people was a time of newness and signaled the passing of the old to the new. No one takes an old tattered piece of clothing and then to try to fix it, you put a new patch there because what happens with the patch? Well, when you wash the first time, it's gonna shrink, it's gonna make the tear worse. Similarly, let's talk about some wine. No one puts new wine into an old wine skin because what happens when the new wine starts to ferment? Well, the gas ex- expands and then it blows up. And Jesus is like, why, why would I put new wine into an old calcified wineskin? Because it's just gonna blow up because it's not gonna be able to contain that new life. When you have something new, it needs to be coupled with a new container. You see, Jesus' presence is a revolutionary presence. In God's design, Jesus is illustrating God's work in and among his people. It's God the Father's design to illustrate to the people through Jesus this new life, this new work that God has brought about. And when God sets out to establish a new work, sometimes the old structures just don't fit anymore. And the fasting of John and the Pharisees would not fit the freedom and the form of the joy and new life that Jesus had come to give. Whenever you preach or study the word, the preacher's gotta think about, okay, I can do the study, but how does this relate to me? Because if I ain't feeling it, you ain't gonna feel it. I wonder why I got this passage. What is God doing in my life that God is saying, Pete, you got some old stuff you need to get rid of so I can bring you new joy and new life? That's for me. But think about where you're at. What are you holding on to? God's like, man, you just gotta let it go so I can give you new life. New joy. The reality is, is that we're all hurt. We all have trauma. We all have difficulty. We all have done things we shouldn't have said, things we shouldn't have broken up, things we shouldn't have. But Jesus came to bring joy and new life. Circling back, why, why should We be fasting, Jesus says, when I'm with them. I came to bring joy, new life. I came to bring grace and not some rigid, legalistic religion. I came to bring freedom. I came to bring the spirit of God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, what? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is? Yeah. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
Jesus doesn't want us to live in the old constraints of legalism, but of grace. Perhaps some of us are still living under Moses and the law. Hardened old wineskins. But you see, every day, those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, God, the creator of the universe, who called the constellations into being, who speaks the stars by name, who knows every cell of your body as it pulses, who has every day ordained for you written in his book, that God of creation, if you have placed your faith in him and you have a personal relationship with Christ through faith, the spirit of God is in you. Today is a day of grace. Today is a day of freedom. Today is a day of hope. Today is a day of life and joy. Today is a day of love and mercy and kindness. Today is a day of new wine. Whereas the Old Testament prophets look forward to the day of grace, we look back in the reality of grace, we now have the privilege by the Spirit of God to live in that grace every single day. And although we may have hurt people and people have hurt us, we have the Spirit of God living in us to give us the ability to live in that grace and to trust God when things don't make sense. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Every day, Christian, is a day of more grace than you could possibly use. The big idea for us this morning and there is this, is that Jesus came to bring joy and new life. That's why he came. This passage is so much bigger and broader than fasting. Jesus came to bring joy and new life. Jesus came to bring joy. When Jesus was with the party with Levi, he asked, you know, why weren't you guys fasting? Filled with sorrow and remorse for sins, seeking to be religious. Jesus said, why should they fast and not celebrate while I am with them? Is he with you? <laughs> Listen. So if you have your Bibles, I just want to invite you to turn to Isaiah 55. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I want you to see this passage because it relates to the joy that is ours through Christ. So Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy, and eat. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. Buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? How often do we pursue the things of this world that we know are not gonna satisfy? But we lean into those things like a fleshy pacifier that will never bring resolution or hope and it leaves us flat every single time maybe filled with regret. This is the flesh. We all do this. Praise God for his grace. But Isaiah says, why, why are you spending your earnest labor and energies on these things? And then God says, listen to me. Listen. Just be. <laughs> Sit down and listen. Just listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul 
We'll delight in the richest of fare. Sometimes we don't like to talk about the soul, but the reality is God has made us with the soul. We are unique creatures in the image of God, made in his image. We are not animals. We are made in the image of God. We have a soul. And we try to satisfy the longings of our soul with earthy pleasures that will never be satisfied because we all humans are longing for something transcendent. We're longing for God. You are longing for heaven. As the writer of Ecclesiastes said that God has placed within us heaven, a desire to be there, to know him, and our human ways to try to fill that void with things that don't satisfy. But Isaiah says, eat what is good and your soul will, be, will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear, listen to me, come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. God wants your soul to live and it can only live with him through faith in Christ. Ephesians 3.12, in him and through faith in Jesus, with faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. And Christian, what, what, what Paul says in Ephesians here is that you may approach God. You don't need a priest. You, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, the truth of his word, you may approach God. You may step into his presence with freedom and confidence. For us, Jesus has been crucified and risen. Our sins have been forgiven. We, we can approach God the Father with freedom and confidence because of what Jesus has already done. Every day should be Easter. Every day should be Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Every day. You see, this passage is so much bigger than what is, than, than what is fasting. Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh had come, proved it by his many miracles and casting out of demonic forces, healing, forgiving sin. We've already seen this in, in Mark and we're only two chapters in. God has come, why fast, why mourn, why be sorrowful? At a wedding feast, people are dancing, filled with joy. Sometimes I think we think that in order to be a Christian, we have to be very sober, very tight. Pursed lips, I'm holy. Why would anybody want that? Because Jesus came to bring joy and what he promises, regardless of our difficult circumstances, joy is not happiness. Joy is a state of well-being for your soul. Come what may, God, the creator of the universe, sovereign over all, all things work together for good for those that love him. Joy ought to be a characteristic of how you live because you're confident in the sovereignty of God in all situations. So just thinking about us, do you compare Jesus to other religious figures? Because that's what was going on here in Mark. John's disciples, Pharisees, they're fast. Well, Jesus, what's up? Aren't you just like, no, I'm not like them. Do you compare Jesus to other religious figures? 
He claimed to be God, proved it by his resurrection, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and has promised to one day come back again. Perhaps joy isn't a reality in our lives because we're unimpressed with him. Or maybe we're overfamiliar with Jesus. But as we really soak in what God's word has to say in Mark, pray that God would help you read it for the first time. That it would be an amazing drama as it unfolds and God reveals himself in the flesh to your soul. Psalm 34, eight says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you taste that the Lord is good? Or is he crusty dry bread to you? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Do you take refuge in him or do you take refuge in something else? So question for us to think about today. Who are you listening to? Spend less time listening to the world's perspective and more time with Christ. How much time do you spend scrolling? How much time do you spend on the internet or with people at work? And really, if you drew a pie chart, 168 hours in a week, really, what kind of sliver does Jesus get? How much time do you spend with them? Come on, let's be honest, right? Memorize Romans 12 too. What's that say? Do not conform, do not, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but take the initiative. Be transformed. Don't just let your brain do whatever it wants to do. You gotta take control of your brain because it will lead you to death, guaranteed 100% of the time. God calls us to take control by his spirit and work differently, think differently than the world. And Paul says, don't think like the world anymore. Rather, take the initiative to transform your mind, meditate on who I am, who you are in Christ, in the gospel, that the Holy Spirit would work in you this transformative effect. Because if we do this, then, as an as a outcome, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That sounds really nice to me. When I have conversations with non-believers, you know, in, in, in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. If you have trusted Christ and you're walking with him, uh, we ought to be known by the fruit of the spirit. What does that look like? Tell me if this doesn't look beautiful. A person full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who wouldn't want to hang out with someone like that? But that's the spirit of Christ in you transforming your mind to live like that, that Christ's life truly may blossom inside of us. You see, Jesus came to bring joy, not sorrow, life, not death, freedom, not bondage, but Jesus also came to bring new life. And our desire, our hearts here at Brian ache to encourage you to deepen your relationship with God. Where are you? Are you just beginning? Take the step in. We wanna encourage you to deepen your relationship with God. 
number of years ago, there was a pastor author. His name was A.W. Tozier. And uh, he wrote a very powerful book called uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. And this book uh, is about the characteristics or the character of the attributes of God. And what I'm gonna read for you right now, I'm gonna ask you to reach higher. This is cookies, not on the lowest shelf. This is up here. So I want you to concentrate. I want you to listen because it really sets up the power of what Christ has done for us, okay? So here's Tozier, the divine transcendence of God. We must not think of God as highest in the ascending order of beings, starting with a single cell and going up from the fish to the bird, to the animal, to man, to angel, to cherub, to God. This would be to grant God eminence, even preeminence. But that is not enough. We must grant him transcendence in the fullest meaning of the word. Listen now. Forever God stands apart in light unapproachable. He is as high above the archangel as above the caterpillar. For the gulf, listen, for the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. The caterpillar and the archangel, though far removed from each other in the scale of created things, are nevertheless one in that they are alike created. Listen carefully. They both belong to the category of that which is not God and are separated from God by infinitude itself. This is the God who created the heavens, who purposely left the splendor, majesty, and privileges of heaven and donned a robe of flesh to become like you and me, yet knew no sin, took the sins of humanity on his back, was tortured, killed, and buried, but rose from the dead. This is the Jesus that we worship This is the Jesus who wants to bring new life. This is the Jesus who walks on the water, who calls the dead man open or out from the grave and who has promised to come back again. This is the Jesus who wants to give you new life today. You see, when we look at this passage, it is reasonable to think that this is about fasting. But Jesus is saying something different. I did not come to augment that which is past, but to bring something completely different, that of an economy of love and grace. John's disciples and the Pharisees We're stuck in sorrow and legalism. Jesus came to reveal the love and the grace of God. New wine, a new covenant, a new relationship with our heavenly father. Salvation had come. And joy and new life that Jesus came to bring begins with the gospel. Here is the gospel. God loves you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The problem is that we're all wrecked. We're all broken. We all do things we shouldn't, say things we shouldn't, spend time the way we shouldn't, spend our money the way we shouldn't. We all are messed up. We are broken 
damaged goods. And God knows that. Paul, the writer of Romans, says that everybody's broken, everybody's sin falls short of the glory of God. The outcome of that, the wages of sin, is death. But God loves you so much. We've all heard the maxim, talk is cheap. God's talk is not cheap because what he did is he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place while we were still broken. But it's not enough to just believe that in the sense that the demons believe that and they're not gonna be in heaven. So if you want new joy, if you want new life, what does Paul say? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The new wine, the new covenant is the new relationship with God. It's possible right now. A new day is available for you right now. A new wine, a new life is available for your children, for your home, for your family, for your school, for your church. It's a new day for Berean because Jesus came to bring new life and joy and that is what he said. Can you imagine if we put aside our personal and corporate expectations and simply ask the Holy Spirit to come and bring new joy and new wine to your lives, your home, your church, if the Spirit of God, the creator of the universe would descend upon our hearts so that your soul would whisper and shout and worship him. Can you imagine if we purposefully stopped comparing the old to whatever new God wanted to bring, purposefully and corporately? What would happen if we let go of the old forms that we may be holding on to and release them to God so that new wine, new spirit would flow into our lives, into our church? Yesterday was a day of salvation. So is today. What do you do with this? You gotta make a choice. You see, God wants to give you such soul satisfaction. But we hold back because we don't trust him instead of submitting and trusting that he's got something better. Jesus came to bring you joy, a new life. And he rose from the dead to prove it. Will you please bow with me in prayer? With eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you want to know the new life that Jesus came to give, with heads bowed and eyes closed, simply pray this Jesus, I want to know you personally. My soul is not satisfied. I'm thirsty for you. I confess, Jesus, that I'm sinful. I'm broken. I pushed you away. My sin has separated me from you. Would you please forgive me of my sins and make me the kind of person you want me to be? Holy Spirit, please bring your joy and new life in me today. 
For those who already know Christ as Lord, may I remind you that Jesus has come. Salvation is here. He is getting ready to return. The grave is empty. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus has brought new life to you. He is Lord over all. And perhaps we need to ask God to forgive us for trying to hold back new wine. Perhaps we're fearful of the future. We're hurt because of the past. Holy Spirit, would you bring new life to me? Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Would you pour into me, Holy Spirit, generously your new spirit that I would know you better than I do? Would you pour new wine into my marriage, into my children, into my family? Would you pour new wine into my small group? Would you pour new wine into my church? Holy Spirit, would you pour new wine into the place where I work, or relationships that I know that just smell rotten? Would you bring new life? Father, we ask that you would do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Holy Spirit, I ask in faith that you would bring fresh wind and fire, new life and joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.